Hello and welcome to the fifth season of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name's Lewis Webb and we're back with brand new weekly episodes where I get to share the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. We've had a bit of time off, but we're really excited to carry on with this podcast and to continue to have great conversations with interesting people in the area. Since announcing this season on social media, I've had a lot of really nice comments from listeners and all your feedback is always appreciated. So if you'd like to send us a message, you can email hello at somersetstories.com. My guest for our first podcast of the season is former punk rock mayor of Froome, Andy Rintmore. Andy's involvement in local politics embodies the town's well-documented, independent and rebellious streak. But beyond just making great headlines for the likes of the New York Times, Kerrang! and The Sun, his connection and compassion for Froome mean that for him, it's been much more than a PR win. Andy's also a musician, a collector, and has his own podcast, The Giant Pod, all of which we cover in our chat, that took place in December of 2022. Andy, welcome to Somerset Stories. Hello, thanks for having me. It's been a while, hasn't it, in the, in the making. We've been talking about this for a while. We have, we have. And um, I, I say welcome to Somerset Stories, but really you're, you're welcoming me. Welcome to my gaff. Yeah, yeah. you're on my sofa. <laughs> <laughs> you're also hosting me with very professional equipment and a producer as well. I'm slightly worried that my listeners might get used to this, uh, this level of, of audio quality. Yeah, well... Um, you can always hire Harry. He's he's hireable. You know, if, if you like what you if you if you like what you hear, give him a bell. Yeah, Get thank him on you, board. Harry. Thank you, Harry. I think we might just it'll be lapel mics for the next episode. So sorry, listeners. Andy, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm a, I'm a little um right now in in terms of the right now today, not, not as in like a right now in general. I'm slightly tired because I've had work today and I work six days a week these days. Um, my week, my working week finishes at 4am on Sunday morning um, and then it starts again half eight on a Monday. So I'm generally always just a little tired at the moment, but that's that's what you've got to do. But other than that, I'm, I'm in good spirits. Yeah, I'm good. And we're in the period of the year where it's kind of dark evenings and very dark mornings as well. Yeah. So Very expensive evenings is, is, is where we are, isn't it? That's true. Um, that's true. Are you a winter person? Do you like the winter? Um, I don't mind. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I mean, I think most people that don't like winter, I think probably feel a little bit of winter blues, I think. And that's probably, I mean, the, the weather's always a bit crap, isn't it? But you have your nice frosty, bright mornings. They're, they're lovely. But I think most people that don't really like winter probably find winter a bit of a struggle. Um, I don't tend to find it a struggle. It can be, a, it can feel a bit like, when you get up and you go to work and you go home in the dark, it can feel a little bit like uh, you live in, uh, where, where's that place up in the Arctic or something? Where it's just dark all the time. Yeah, Alaska, somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Not so much of the job I have now. I do get some natural light and actually see the day. But what, I used to work in a co-op for 10 years and that was didn't have any windows and it was all like artificial lighting. And you'd go to work in the dark and go home in the dark and it just was weird and that that can actually get to you a little bit after after a little run you just need to see some daylight mm. um but yeah no i'm generally a summer person for sure um but i do i try and embrace the the part of the winter where it kind of forces you to just slow down a little bit sometimes because I can get really busy really fast and spin loads of plates and it's just nice to to be able to have like an excuse to be like, right, I'm going to get under a duvet and watch Star Wars. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. And you've just um, you've just had the the Lantern Parade in Froome. How was that this year? Uh, great this year, yeah. Um, Sarah uh, um, Butler, who is the mayor right now, mayor of Froome now, um, did a great job of uh, her speech and uh, her band played just before that. Uh, it was a classic kind of Froome event where you know you feel like the whole town has come out and you feel like. They're all all corners of the towns, like community groups have got together and put something on. It, yeah, it just felt very vibrant and, and and good. Yeah, great. You're very much born and bred here, aren't you? Your your bio on the town council website says that you were named after Hurricane Andrew. Is that true? Oh God, it's come back to bite me that one, hasn't it? I wrote. Oh, wow. Yeah, I need to sort that out. Actually, I wrote that bio thinking, like, in my naive sort of green. Um, 
green bushy tailed era of my like sort of local politics career I was like yeah I'm gonna write something kind of cool and like like kind of weird and like out left field and it's kind of gonna sound like a sort of a, a fun press release kind of thing and then now when I look at it I'm like that is kind of embarrassing <laughs> but I am named after Hurricane Andrew um I was told and that's what I'm sticking to when did you find that out? How, how does that conversation with your parents go? I, yeah, it was probably something something to do with my hyperactivity as a kid. It was probably it probably came up like, um, you know, you, you were named after a hurricane. Something like, you know, something like it's a big force of nature. There's lots of energy in there. And then, you know, it's just kind of synonymous with yeah. a, a hurricane or a Tasmanian devil. So your parents weren't like big meteorologists? No, no storm chasers in the family, unfortunately. Although I do remember Twister being a fairly um, common watch in my childhood. Okay. I used to like that film. Okay. Is there a family business that you... No, there used to be um, like a a haulage company in the family. I think maybe my great-grandfather, back in the day where you have like one truck, put your name on it. Well, I guess things haven't really changed too much, but... Um, that was a family business. My mum uh, is on the, the housekeeping team at Centre Parks and has been for God knows how long now, 20 years, I think, 20 plus. Um, and my dad, um, chiefly during my life, was a printer for Butler and Tanner before they went into, uh, I guess, administration. Mm. Um, and he now drives a van delivering motor parts. Awesome. Semi-retired and seems to be enjoying it. Slightly off topic here, but did your mum uh, get involved or, or was she affected at all by that recent thing that happened with Centre Parks where they said that people could be there but not go out of their houses and all that kind of stuff? Was that around the Queen's funeral that, that happened? Yeah, oh, yes. I remember reading this and thinking, this is... Um, what's the swearing policy on this podcast? You can, you can swear if you want. Okay. I remember reading that and going, this is a PR clusterfuck. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, no, I don't think she was really kind of affected by it too much. Because it wasn't the story. They gave the staff the day off so that they could watch the funeral, be in mourning. Yeah. Essentially, they said, if you've booked your holiday and you're here, because it was the end of the summer holidays, wasn't it? it I think so, yeah. If you've booked was... your holiday, you can come, but just don't leave your accommodation. That's right. That's it. Yeah. So it was <laughs> because it was a, a national, yeah, a day of mourning and a bank holiday. I think they were thinking, all right, we'll just tell everyone the staff are gone and that, you know, just basically just entertain yourself for the day. Yeah. What planet were they but on? I, it just, the, the social media around it was hilarious because everyone was like, it's going to be like the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that film Battle Royale? I've not. No, okay, but I really want to. It would be a lot like that as well. Yeah. Know, random weapons found from the kitchen and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. That aside, obviously, room of, of your childhood would be quite different to to the town today. E um, yes, yes and no. See, I always like so I, when I went off to study music at Bath College after I left school, I spent a few years mostly living in Bath. Not like I didn't like have a, a I was, didn't have my name on any like paperwork. I wasn't renting a property or anything. But I was kind of you know sofa surfing with mates and staying at you know uh, a guitarist's house like or with my best mate or with a girlfriend or, or whatever and so for a long time I, I didn't really have any connection with room other than to come back every now and then and maybe pick up some clean clothes and head back out again and I thought that um within that time that is when Froome kind of, kind of became hip and started to kind of get that trendy vibe but one of my first um engagements i guess visits when i was the mayor was to the Froome festivals uh, i think it was 20th anniversary um talk like it was a, a like a guest lecture on, on the history of the Froome festival and watching that they had footage from about 20 years ago and i gotta say it looked a lot like the the sort of liberal artisan self-starting proactive community that i know now and it was kind of i remember that being kind of shocking like oh i've kind of been led to believe that Froome used to be this thing that was kind of not necessarily desirable and a little bit rough and ready and has kind of like pulled itself pulled itself up and become a bit of a cultural um 
hub. And in actual fact, looking back on that, all that footage and looking at the the history of the Froome Festival, it's kind of always been here in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubting that there were times when rival towns would come and there'd be big punch-ups in the street. Um, there's a guy I know who's in his 90s, who's actually at um, the venue that's next door to us right now where I, I work on the weekend um, with his cane, with walking stick, dancing to drum and bass in his 90s. And he was writing a book on Froome's sort of rebel history on its uh, um, unrest and civil um, civil unrest in, in Froome's history. And there's all kinds of, like, chatting to him has been really um, fascinating. Froome has always had a real rebellious edge to it. So I guess that there's a part of that in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see the rebellious edge in in the the way that Froome is now, but it's just in a slightly different way. It's yeah. in, like, independent town councils which i'm sure you're probably gonna ask me about i'm in, sure we'll, in we'll a moment but get, we'll count to that in some way yeah Froome's always had like a fierce independent spirit and whether whether that's been shown in in a slightly quote-unquote rougher times or more sort of culturally uh, mm-hmm. affluent times it's always kind of had a through line i think you described yourself earlier as being or having a degree of hyperactivity as a kid uh, a degree what, in hyperactivity a, well, degree, <laughs> is is that how you would kind of is that how you'd characterize yourself as a uh, as a child yeah i'm it's on i was talking about this uh earlier today um my day job is i, I work in um a school which is specialist educational needs so all day every day i'm working with kids who have autism adhd and they've almost all got adhd and they've all got autism and then there's other you know other adjacent diagnoses that often come hand in hand with these these things and i was talking to the the teacher um that i work with very closely throughout the day about my sort of um being diagnosed really early because there's a lot of kids that get di- still waiting on diagnosis for things and i've been diagnosed since like i think like four or five which I, apparently is quite early um so i must have been pretty hyperactive and i must have been a classic case i guess but i remember saying to earlier i was like i wasn't a naughty kid in in the in the sense of like i wasn't getting in punch-ups wasn't losing my temper and breaking things i wasn't um in trouble with the police you know it wasn't that kind of stuff so i one i just wonder because you don't have many memories do you of of like yourself from the third you don't have any memories of you from the third person when you're young you have to rely on a grandparent or someone who knew mm. you like kind of regaling you with stories of how you were as a child a lot of the time to sort of hear those parts of your life so there's some some blind spots really i know i was challenging i know i tested their patients i know i was very hyperactive i'm just unsure in what in what form that took i think it was probably inattentiveness loads of energy and just little obsessions with stuff. I still have obsessions with collecting things and mm. you know, just getting into hyper focuses about stuff. But it was probably um probably a bit of PDA as well, which is pathological demand avoidance. Like I still have a bit of it now. If someone angrily tells me to do something, my first instinct is to rail against it, even if they're right. And that's annoying because you know, oh, I should be doing this. But if it's if it's demanded of you in a certain way, you, just, you can just really put your heels in. So it's probably a lot yeah. of that as a kid. <clears throat> it's really interesting. I um, I was doing uh, some training for work recently and they were talking about your parent voice and your child voice. And there's the kind of the the parent that is demanding and the kind of aggressive parent. And what that naturally stimulates is a child that goes, no, I don't want to do that. Uh... And it's, it's the, the interesting way that, you know, when... As soon as someone aggressively tra- starts trying to sell you something, you don't want it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. soon as you've given the hard sell, like your your initial thing is like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've I've had that before. I won't name the the business, but there is a phone shop somewhere, and there's, <laughs> there's someone in there who's notoriously um, aggressive, and I felt it. But I've been in, in felt it before, and now I just think, no, you're not you're not bullying me into buying this or making me buy this really crap contract. I mean, I just don't like it. I don't like anyone pushing stuff on me too much. But on the other side of the coin, I don't like people being 
too weak and meek about stuff either. I often think, come on, come on, have a bit of, come on, where is it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a middle ground, isn't it? There is, there is. Uh, When you were growing up, what what role did music play in the family? What kind of thing did you have on in the car? Um, So in the car was a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits 2, Weird memory coming in now is that if you looked at the front cover, you looked at the CD holding the CD, the front cover's the right way up. I turn the case around and the uh, the the back art would be upside down. Um, which later later in life I realised I could take the tray out and just swap it. Out, you know, but that was odd to me at the time. That didn't make any sense. I remember being in a car once, being very perplexed by trying to figure out what the next track was and having to always twist the, the case round. Um, I'm sure everyone was fascinated by that story there. Um, I remember running... <laughs> I don't know if this... Is this PC? I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I remember running around in a dressing gown to Kung Fu Fighting. Is that a PC? I think it is. I think it's fine. I mean... Because it's a gi, it's yeah, a robe, you're isn't a kid. it? Yeah, you're yeah. emulating Karate Kid or whatever. Sure. Yeah, that is yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I just never know these days, like what what's going on. Sometimes it's imagination, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have proper attire, then a dressing gown. It's, it's, well, it sort of looks like a judo, um, uh, kung fu. You know, I, I think thing. as a as a kid, you wanna you wanna sort of embrace what you're listening to and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think I think the question of the song. Is Kung Fu Fighting, is the song PC? That's not PC. I, you PC? as a kid wearing a dressing gown is probably okay. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was slightly sort of insensitive. But it's not, is it? Because if you, if you do a martial art, you get given a, a dressing gown-like robe, don't you? So it's not it's yeah. not insensitive in any way. I'm being silly. It's been a long day. Um, yeah, so yeah, stuff like that. But I, can, I cannot say that my, my parents are huge musos. There's not been a massive music collection in the house. Music was not on 24-7. You hear like people like Lars Ulrich or whatever from Metallica talk about going to bed and hearing Jimi Hendrix on in downstairs and waking up and something else was on. Like all you know, growing up around music. Um we had music in the house, but it's never really, I don't think, played an awfully huge role in my parents' life. So mm. I'm unsure where I got that um almost autistic like obsession with it were you okay with their music or did you kind of think well that's that's my parents is not very cool i'm definitely okay with their music now um there obviously is a is a a moment of your adolescence where you want to individuate i guess the word is and you try and find your own stuff but now you know you look around their record collection i'm pretty sure that it was sort of Bob Marley bit of like crap Blondie not classic Blondie like later Blondie was not very good Queen just there's some real classics in there and like now it would be fine and I've probably got most of what their record collection is at home probably in my own copies in there somewhere and to be honest with you most of the music I listen to anyway is from the 70s and 80s I'm not a particularly I've got my fingers on the pulse but I'm always trying to go back and like what have I missed out on? You know what I mean? What what have I missed with uh, Kraftwerk? What's all that about? You know, go back. That's what I what, what I think. But mm. um, I've actually forgotten what the question was now. So it was whether you liked your parents' music or not. Uh, yeah, it was all right. But it, as I say, it was very rarely on, so it didn't. It didn't. I remember there being an Anastasia cassette in my mum's. Uh, Black Fiesta for what felt like three years so I know every part of that album now um, and I do remember a, 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 a pretty powerful moment where I, got, I come in from school first school dad had uh, brought me home my sister was at secondary school so she finished slightly later or maybe I was just younger so that we got to leave early I can't remember now and she had a Sega Mega Drive um in her room so I just got in her room real quick because I knew I probably had half an hour before she got home and I was playing Sonic the Hedgehog and all of a sudden I hear this booming music coming from downstairs it's like cats the size of rats rats the size of cats or something like that really menacing like spoken word stuff and it was Bowie uh, Diamond Dogs I'm not sure which um which track off that album but I remember the fear just just 
uh, gripping me because it just come out of nowhere. It was super fucking creepy. And I just uh, ran downstairs. I was like, turn off, turn off, turn off. I was fucking petrified by it. So maybe that that's a powerful moment. That's probably the first time music ever made me feel something. I mean, that's, that's pretty imprinted. It's a shame. It's sheer terror. Yeah. <laughs> but it made you feel. It made me feel, yeah. In your youth, you were in the army cadets. Was that something you were encouraged into, or was it more of a this is this is my own choice? I'm gonna gonna make this happen. So, like any little boy from that time, I grew up trying to sneakily record Rambo off the telly on my VHS cassettes, um, the Terminator, uh, RoboCop, Predator, you know, all of that stuff. And largely, I was fairly successful in doing so. So I grew up watching action films, lots of big guns and lots of shooting and action and stuff like that. And so one day, while I I can't remember how old I was, maybe 12, 13, I remember my mum saying, you know, do you want to go to do this thing called Army Cadets? Um, I had a couple of friends at the time, or still do, but a couple of friends at the time who were twins and they were going. And it was, you know, how mums, mums who are best friends chat and they go, oh, you know, so-and-so's going, do you want to go? And what sold me was you, you get to shoot guns. And I went, great, yeah, some real, yeah, I'll give me some guns. Yeah, I'll go. Um, and uh, I grew up with two shotguns in the house. Um, so it was, they'd come down every now and then. And I'd get to safely, let me emphasize, really, really safely and respectfully be taught about them and get to hold them and learn to respect guns and weapons anyway. So, But the chance to fire more... Different, I hadn't fired anything at that point actually, but the chance to like really get into that and use firing ranges and stuff for your friends, I thought that was really cool. I wanted to put some rounds down range. <laughs> um, and uh, so, and I'd already been a, a beaver, I think it was that's what it is before scouts, isn't it? For a bit, so yeah, I, I, I went, yeah, let's do it, let's get into it. And that actually was that was where the drumming started. But at that point, you said you'd been diagnosed. Uh, with ADHD sort of at four or quite early. Yeah, four or five, yeah. I'm curious as to how the rigidity of something like cadets would sit with that with you. Yeah, that's a a great question, actually. Yeah, I guess I just like, I probably just didn't have the balls to to be like, no. (laughs) You know, when I, I feel like things are a little softer now than they were when I was in Army Cadets, but it wasn't all that long ago. But I definitely feel like, you probably would have got disciplined a little bit more back then than you than maybe you would now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to say I'm not an adult instructor, but it was definitely um, a little bit more rough and ready. It was definitely. I feel a little bit more. Um, my parents were the kind that would say, "Hey, you need to shout at him and put him in line." You know, go for it. Do you know what I mean? So I knew that. I knew that when I was there, you know, they had carte blanche to to give me a, a, a beasting. <laughs> so it, it was fine. And in fact, actually, I find that a lot of people with ADHD really, really like structure. To begin with, it can be a bit like, oh, what's this? And you can almost get a bit stuck. But um, structure is important. And being able to mould yourself into that structure actually brings a little bit of comfort, I think, for a lot of people, is that you know what you're doing now, you know what you're doing next, you know it's not going to go wrong, you know you're not going to not understand it, because I think the life of a lot of people with ADHD is people say, can you do this, that, and this, and the other, and this, and that, and you go, yeah, and then you turn around to go and do it, and you go, oh, shit, I can't remember half of that, actually, and then you feel like you're constantly messing up, you're constantly failing, or you're a bit of a disappointment or something. Um, In fact, I did a little bit of a a memory test earlier um, back at work, because I was talking about my struggles with with maths and then the teacher said well we'll do a little test got a sheet out my short-term memory is pretty good almost above average my long-term would be pretty great because i can recall stuff from my special interests like an encyclopedia but my working memory terrible absolutely shocking um two or three things to, uh, we were using numbers, so maybe it would be different, but two or three things is my working memory, it seems. So, um, yeah, we like. I think we like structure. We like to know 
what we're doing and when mm. and there's a the, to have things that have that in it i think are really good for us and army cadets had structure definitely speaking of things that that have structure at this point through army cadets you were introduced to drums or mm. what a drum yeah well i always had the image of a drum kit in my mind and this sounds like i know this sounds like sort of pr spiel like you know something to put on the back of an autobiography or something like oh all from my youth i couldn't get this image of a drum kit out of my mind until my 10th birthday and christmas morning do you know what i mean like it's not quite like that but i always just kind of had a bit of a fascination about drums but not it's weird like i always just used to think wow i'd really love to play a some drums one day or just smash them about like whack them basically not anything musical but it's the same as that you know you give any 10 year old that doesn't know how to drum a drum kit and it's like whoa i get to hit this with these things really hard wow um and i think i had kind of had this thing in my head of like drums are cool i think i'd like to try a drum kit one day and see what that feels like looks like sounds like whatever and then you know i'm in this queue and people just randomly being given instruments and I got, I got a drum. And so, yeah, and it was like, okay, cool. And that was probably the one I would have wanted because it was that or a bugle. And I'm not dissing the bugle when it's played right. Very beautiful, very emotive. But um, I'm a drum. I'm a drum boy. Give me something to whack. Yeah. From that, was the the next step quite naturally i can do this as as a group as a band like how does no i found it really hard really hard i wasn't one of the, i don't think i would have been one of these kids so sometimes you you know you see toddlers and stuff and music's on and they tap away to it and you think wow you've got like natural intrinsic rhythm like you just you you're you don't know what's going on you're not intellectualizing it you just you're purely feeling it on a base level somewhere that four is on the floor and you're dapping your head to it you know there's a lot of people that have a real affinity for rhythm um i didn't i just wasn't that great um i had to really kind of just stick with it really and i and i didn't pick things up as quick as other people that didn't go on to play a full drum kit and tour and be on the radio <laughs> it's, it's very life's weird there are other people that were that were faster learners and better drummers than me and they just kind of like just didn't really obviously just played that and didn't go any further with it so it's, it's odd but i can't say now i say i have natural rhythm but i i really had to go to school if you know what i mean like hypothetically I had to go to school and really get with the program really with that sort of stuff and so how did you how did you connect with with others and how did you how did you turn that from you know your own playing to to more of the like I'm in a band and this is what I want to play this is the type of music I want to play um that was kind of like an accident i remember like some of my earliest you know when it's 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 an odd one because for some people they've always loved music since they can remember i think for a lot of people they get to about 11 12 and then music becomes something important it's like gone from something that's always been about and you've liked songs and stuff but now it represents something you can hang your you can hang an identity off of it it represents a a, a tribalism uh a thing or a place to belong or at least it used to i don't know now with spotify and algorithms whether you know the i don't know whether the teenagers of today are just listening to loads of different stuff because it's all available via streamers um or whether there are still those very um sort of uh those silos of stuff that you're in for a while and then obviously when you're an adult you branch out but um yeah, music became part of a, it was just pick your crowd thing, I guess, wasn't it? And you think, well, that they're kind of cool. And I think like the heavier music that I really liked, all the, the metal and stuff that I started getting into, just works with the, the ADHD sort of brain, really, because you've got a very busy brain. And if you put very busy drums and guitars and everything through that, then that helps i remember some of my earliest music i enjoyed being kind of hip-hop stuff that was kind of from my sister that i was picking that 
that sort of stuff up from. But it just, just basically was like someone said, you can play drums. Do you want to play drums in this metal band? I had no idea how to play metal. Um, in fact, before that, they asked me to sing because I was one of the only kids that liked metal. So it was like, oh, you, there's five people that like metal. Should we try and make some, basically? And I, I say singing very, very loosely. I shouted some very corny, horrible lyrics um, for a bit over some very crap, um, crap amateur playing. <laughs> and then the drummer didn't turn up and I went, well, I play one drum. And then that's how kind of how it started. But um, yeah, it's about, tri- for, for a lot of it, I think it's about tribalism, isn't it? And I feel like rock and roll seemed like the last Wild West. It seemed like all the people I was reading about, didn't matter what they did or how how naughty, how naughty they were or whatever, you know, whatever they'd done, they just like never like seemed to get in any trouble. It's really sad saying it now, but like in the mind of a young teenager, that like when you're you're surrounded by like authority and authoritarianism if that's a real word, yeah. Um, you know, the the idea of there being one last Wild West out there, one front frontier where you could get on a bus for your mates if you were just good enough and you could just do whatever you wanted, it felt. And no one really cared because you were good at this thing that lots of people liked. Um, I think that's how my sort of strange, naive, um, adolescent brain saw it. It's just this freedom. <laughs> That freedom, that sort of touring mentality that you got to got to be part of, that was mainly through Sick Ones. Yes, that was basically, yeah, basically all through Sick Ones. I, I see the bands that I was in before as kind of like, they were just like training bands, you know, of drummers and players in training, basically. And you have, you put a name on it, obviously, because you're teenagers or you're young and you want to, make it a thing and you and you have to give it purpose and meaning and then you you know but um the the I was in a band before that called Strychnine Poisoning that did some okay stuff but just very low key stuff in Bath there in fact there was another band that was active at the time that was covering two of our songs in their set which is very strange they butchered them but um it was odd that they were out doing our songs when we were just a, like a just a you know, just a pub band, really. You know, just on the on the very opening slot. Nice thing to happen, though. It's nice. It's yeah. weird, though, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit odd to yeah think about that now. But yeah, but sick ones was the one where you know you're mature enough, you've learned enough because you know, I I studied um, music for a few years in Bath College, as I mentioned earlier. So you're a bit more savvy about stuff. You've had three years to to sort of continue to drum to work with other musicians to learn about other music to just basically work on yourself as a musician um and that's kind of where it all just sort of came together and i wasn't expecting it to um and it just did it just started producing results and i wasn't gonna say no to any of it so yeah yeah that's, that's kind of came from there but the weird thing is is like you think about i did a lot of things with sick ones that i think yeah my 14 year old self that I was mentioning earlier would have been really like whoa no way you did that like that's so cool or I can't believe that um I can't believe that we're actually doing that um but it's it's interesting and in a way it's thank god that these things come to you when you're actually mature enough to be able to do them because if I'd gone and done a tour of America for two weeks at 15 or 16 it's been mayhem (laughs) absolute mayhem so thank god that those opportunities came when i was in a place in life where i could be a bit more like i could be a bit <clears> professional <throat> about it so was it just uh just cups of tea backstage with the dead kennedys then right <laughs> that you're not you're not telling me that there was just very sedate and there wasn't there was no trouble weirdly weirdly um we were a pretty pretty straight band <laughs> pretty straight pretty focused our first european tour we rolled in um rolled into calais with a i think it was tim ferris podcast about stoic philosophy on <laughs> you know what i mean you expecting like you know smoke billowing out of every window and a hand out slapping the door and you know rancid up on level 100 you know oh god here's the band no we were air conditioning on stoicism it weird weird there was some there was yeah we did have fun and you know there's 
you know there was cool things that stay on the road that that, that happened but yeah we were a pretty focused and um driven band like it was it was um it was good and that's good actually because i probably could have got a bit nuts but because my my bandmates were nuts and pretty on the ball you you don't i i didn't it didn't allow me to get too um carried away with myself like because you just yeah you don't want to let people down where do you think you had the the best audiences we used to joke that in in the uk the the crusty punks were the best audience to play for but there's a trade-off because the 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 crusty punks were the dreadlocks and the and the um all the patches and the patchouli, smelling of patchouli oil and drinking rough cider from the bottle outside the venue. They were great to play for because they honestly, truly didn't give a shit about what they looked like. We've had human pyramids. We've had, um, we had Ben being um, uh, crowd surfed in a small art space in Sheffield into a toilet, which had urinals and a toilet that had no, it's just a toilet. There was no like walls around it. It was a very odd, thing and then back out again and like it's just like they don't care but then they didn't have any money and didn't buy any shirts so great to play for didn't make us any money and then you play for you know the non-crusty punks and the more trendy cool kind of hardcore kids and they do go nuts and they do appreciate it but they don't go as nuts because a lot of people like worried about you know their, their cred and like you know um and then they do buy merch and you make money so it's a it's a weird one but europe was always cool because they are very um they're like the best of both of those worlds. Like they just get down and they just have fun. They don't worry about how they look per se or being like super cool and they buy merch. So they're really cool. America was a trip because they knew all the words and were like shouting them back. And that was, we were in some really weird places, just some really strange places that not many people have heard of. We weren't hitting like New York City or, you know, um, like big hitter, like landmarks. We were in like Rust Belt and stuff, and there was people just. I'm like, how the hell do you know the lyrics to the song? How do you know about us? It's really, it's really cool. But so there's good audiences everywhere. Um, but generally, the general kind of consensus is that you, you, outside of the UK, the audiences are a little bit better. Sorry, UK. Sorry. Sorry. Dis- disclaimer. <laughs> Was it weird hearing yourself on the radio? Again, it's like one of those weird ones where the moment happens and it's really amazing and you think, wow, I've like done it. Like that's like that's the BBC and that that's a proper radio station. Um but also you're you're really you're really happy for that 14-year-old you. You're really happy for that 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 younger you that had big dreams but didn't necessarily have the skills or the life experience to make them happen right then and there um and you appreciate the journey that you've been on to get there but at that point because you've had to put the work in the time in you're you're at that kind of point in life where you hear it but you don't kind of lose your head over it so you kind of hear it and you go that's really great but then you think is that it shouldn't is that Oh, I thought that would feel slightly, slightly crazier than that. So I guess you just kind of get to a point where it was with sick ones. It was always like, that was really great. Well, what's the next thing? So we didn't really get to, I didn't get to sort of stop and smell the roses um, until the pandemic came. And then like when nothing was going on then I kind of could process the last five years or something. It's not like we were the biggest band in the world and selling out arenas and becoming millionaires, but loads of cool stuff happened that I never thought really that I'd ever be a part of because you have that little imposter syndrome that no matter how much you want it and you say you're going to do it, there is always a voice in your head that's like, yeah, you'll never do that, though, will you? And you've always got that little, like, doubter in your in your mind. So it wasn't until the pandemic I actually kind of stopped and was like, that was really wild. And we were really quite lucky to have been able to do that stuff. As well as performing, you also mentioned earlier your 
collection. Mm. Um, when did that start? Yeah, I'm not. So I do think about this sometimes. I'm not trying to f- find the pinpoint for it, like the moment where I go, "Oh, I'm a collector now." Like it's it's um it's odd. It, I guess at some point you go, "Wow, that's a lot of CDs," and you go, "That almost looks like a collection." And then you go, "Well, maybe I should build on that." I'm not sure. Now it's definitely now I definitely feel like I'm. I'm adding to an extensive library and I'm thinking more like a collector, not in terms of like, Oh, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to get this original pressing vinyl and never play it and whatever. Now I'll buy the things I want to hear and I will unwrap them and listen to them. But, um, I don't know. I don't know. I've given you very long wordy answers so far and I've gone on tangential, if that's the word tangential, um, streams of conscious thought which is very adhd um i'm gonna try and keep this one brief for you um i don't know at some point i realized i really loved them i needed to have them i wanted them to be like an archive and again they're kind of i'm doing it i'm doing it i'm off on one i'm off on one sorry it's not gonna be short when you're when you're young and you're looking at you want to be in a punk band and you want to wear punk clothes or you you're a goth and you listen to Sisters of Mercy and Bauhaus or whatever, there is an identity thing to it, isn't there? Um, and I guess in, I guess in there, it's kind of like this is me, this is who I am, this is everything I love, and this is what represents me. I think. Do you remember the first record that you ever bought? I remember the first vinyl I bought. It was from our local record store, Raves from the Grave. It was 50 pence. I didn't have a record player, but I knew that classic rock and metal and all the stuff that I knew was fabled legend, um, for some reason it was at home on vinyl. Now that sounds super pretentious and I kind of hate to hear people barrel on about the supremacy of vinyl as a man who who has two... 2.5,000 C 2.4,000 CDs next door. <laughs> um, I do like vinyl obviously, but I, I don't, I don't know why I always just felt like Sabbath, Dio, ACDC, Zeppelin, all that stuff. I guess because it was on, on vinyl before CD came along, I always felt like, yeah, getting that on vinyl was like the real authentic, like, like that's how you discover rock and roll. Um, and it was Judas Priest unleashed in the East 50 P it's a live album. And I was like, yeah, Judas Priest, one of those original vinyl bands. I'll get this record and at some point a record player will come into my life and I'll be able to play it. If not, um, Rob Halford's in all leather with studs everywhere, looking like a member of the YMCA uh, and a motorbike. And that's fine. I'll just put that on the shelf. Has anyone ever challenged you, you know, if if the building was on fire and you can only save like yes, five records, I know the answer. Do you? Yeah, it's the Misfits coffin box set. So again, back in the day, um, I sound like I live in the past a bit. I I really don't. I'm a forwards ever, backwards never kind of dude. But I guess with the nature of these interviews, you have to dive in the into the past, don't you? Um, I, my first band, a punk band called Scream ninety two, because we were all born in nineteen ninety two, isn't that? great teenage logic um we would walk downtown and in the shop window of raves from the grave was this um box set in the shape of a coffin and it was the misfits original lineup and it had all these demos and it had a um the static age album which had never been on cd before up until that point and it had everything on it i'm assuming there was some sort of remaster as well going on there um, and we just look at it in the window and it was, I think, 40 something pounds at the time. We're talking 2006, seven. It was far out of our, the, you know, it was far deeper than our pockets would go at that point, being teenagers with no jobs, bumbling around trying to do a punk band after school. And we just look at it all the time in the window. It was just co- in a coveted item that we would just look at. None of us um, could have could afford it. I didn't have a Saturday job. I got, oh, boo-hoo me. I got two pounds a, a week from my grandparents' pocket money. Oh, I'm so unlucky, aren't I? Oh. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, with, you know, being an ADHD kid, that money was spent. Like, I never had the ability to save that two pounds a week. So, yeah, it was that. It was that. And eventually, eventually one Christmas, um, I opened it up and I went, oh, my God, I own this thing now that we've all been looking at through the window, been talking about what's on it, 
you know, myths, legend about what it could be. At the time, I didn't feel like anyone really knew who the Misfits were. Obviously, they do because there's a box set made about them. But, but no, I felt like it was just me and my mates knew about them. And they felt like a very personal band to us. We felt like we knew who they were. And no, my parents didn't know who they were. Didn't rarely saw a Misfits t-shirt, yet we were able to get them from our local record store. It, none of this makes sense, but it, we just felt like they were our band. And I got I won. I got the box set. And I love that box set, and I still love that band. Based on all this chat so far, there's not really a neat segue into... And then you became the mayor. Yeah, I've, I've given you a neat answer. Is there? Like, there's no. there's no obvious trajectory here that ends up with you being mayor of Froome, is there? No. There's no... Yeah, well, there is and there isn't. There's no, not nothing on, I'd say, public record, maybe, or whatever. There's nothing that's been... You know, well, maybe there has... I don't know now at this point. But there's not been a... Yeah, you can't chart the course through anything very reliable so basically what happened is um we we'd come off of our tour with the dead kennedys and that was great um and we were very serious at that point we were like great at that point we had um one of the um one of the biggest um booking agents at the time um who was who was doing us shows getting us on shows for free he wasn't charging us he really liked it um he was working with us trying to trying to build us up to eventually get us on his um roster um we were like his top spotify listen of the year and he's just like deals with like the biggest bands that was a bit of a trip so he he was in he liked it and so we were like feeling ourselves we're like yeah we have uh, a real future at this in a, in a big way now like we could really go the whole nine yards with this and uh, that meant getting a van and really um, I think we thought we'd sacrificed a lot. We definitely sacrificed a lot of free time, a lot of time with other friends, a lot of time in relationships, um, a lot of like time that we could have spent earning more money, a lot of things like moving out <laughs> and stuff like that. A lot of those things were put off and put 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 to the side because we were always like chasing that next thing, you know. And um, it, it got to the point where our original singer, Ben, he was getting really into um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, really into um, being very disciplined at the time and, and really optimising his lifestyle for, like, productivity and getting things done. And and that's not... that People do manage to do it, but when you're on the road, like when we were with, with Dead Kennedys, we were spending six hours just hanging out just waiting for the show to start and it's not it's not a healthy lifestyle because your your rhythms are all over the place um and that's like unless you can do remote work on a laptop or something or you know where all the local gyms are it's not a lot really you can do in that time other than just sort of chill out and eat carbs <laughs> you know maybe drink too many beers or something but so he got to the point where he didn't want to go that serious with it down you know he he had other things he wanted to do um since then interestingly he's kind of really switched his lifestyle up again to uh, um he's doing like really intense like hardcore hardcore techno um real like Ber Berkheim like German sort of really hard hitting stuff it's really um it's interesting He's, he's really had a lifestyle change um, and, and all the power to him. I love him. But um, yeah, he didn't want to do that. And so we were, we were changing our singer. We were auditioning singers. And, and I was, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what the future held. And I was in the co-op where I worked for 10 years in the centre of room. And you kind of get to know people. You get to know everyone really. And I was joking because I could connect people. Like, oh, Andy, I need this and that, or I need to to speak to so and so, uh, or or do you know anyone that does that? And I was able to be like, yeah, there'll be someone I know will be in later who does that. I'll have a word with them, and I was able to like connect people and get people to collaborate or help people out. And I was just joking um, about being the mayor of Froome. Basically, I was like, oh, I'm the mayor of Co-op. Do you know what I mean? It was just dumb, silly jokes because I was so bored in that job, so bored. I found it soul-crushing, really. Um, and I didn't realise that I was joking 
about being a mayor and stuff like that to town councillors. I didn't know. I was so ignorant to our local politics because I was here, there and everywhere with the band. I didn't really have a real um, connection with what was going on politically. I just I just sort of knew lots of people. And they were started to think, oh, there's this guy, young guy, he wants to get involved and people know him and he's born and bred and blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly, you know, people were saying, hey, what have you thought about trying to join the independence for Froome? There's a, an election coming up and if you're elected, you could be a, then you could be the mayor. And I was still thinking, yeah, you know, we're changing our seat. I don't know if it's going to work out. It might be the end of the band. We don't know. It turns out that we got Christy Easterbrook. She was great and it wasn't the end of the band. Shout out Christy. But at the time I didn't really know what you know how it was going to all pan out. So I started thinking about what what else can I do? I don't, I'm not sure if I really wanted to do music again for a while. I was kind of feeling a bit sort of like it was a hard it was a long, hard, but very fun six years. But it was you definitely felt that it was six years. Um and yeah, and it just kind of works like that. I just thought it would be a funny joke to be a punk rock mayor and and I didn't I didn't know who the mayor was. And I didn't know anyone of my age who knew who the mayor was, who cared even. And so I thought, ah yeah, we'll just do it and it'll be a bit of fun. And then I got the you know, got the, the doors started opening for me and be careful what you wish for, really. Because then I realised, oh, people do know who the mayor is. It's still an important role. And by then, I'd won an election by landslide and I was a town councillor. I was on my way to becoming mayor. And then it's not then it's not a joke because you actually you realise that actually this is a great opportunity that I have. There's a lot of responsibility. And it's, it's an opportunity to just grow and mature. I'm definitely not the same guy I was when I was drumming for Sick, one, sick One's pre-pandemic and I definitely felt that I was not the same guy um I was before that band like I've got I've gone through many versions and updates of myself and I'm pleased with each one of them uh yeah <laughs> it's a short tenure that you have as as mayor isn't it it's just a year it is but you 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 can do more you can say that was a very lovely year thanks very much I'm gonna put my hat in the uh, my name in the hat sorry and um and go again and um as long as your colleagues say yes you can but with our independent council uh, there is a there has been a tradition where as you have a deputy mayor they've been you know doing doing the job with you and helping you out and learning the ropes there's a tradition that after a year you say thank you very much and you sort of graciously bow out and you give your deputy a chance to get the vote to get voted in um, so generally the line of succession is whoever's deputy mayor kind of does almost every time become the mayor. Mm. But there have been people, I spoke to someone before I was the mayor who um, had been um, a deputy mayor and said, there's no way I wanted to be the mayor. I hated it. <laughs> um, so it does change. But yeah, it, that's just kind of, yeah. And so how do you how do you then prioritise? How do you think about, okay, well, I've got a year in this role what what are my priorities what do i need to get done yeah so it's it's really um it's so it's a ceremonial role but there's a lot of um there's a lot of soft power that comes with it because you have a column in the paper where you know within reason you can say anything you like and highlight and amplify and and talk about anything that's close to your heart you have uh, there's a there's a quite a lot of power that's um just via influence or, or, or clout, if you will, and that's what soft power is, rather than hard power, where you can click your fingers and have things done. I think a lot of people think that the mayor has a lot of hard power. They don't. Not well. Not all mayors. The mayor. Um, you can have executive mayors uh, like the mayor of Bristol or London. They're the guys who are really making like big decisions. Um, but a lot of mayors for parish councils and stuff like what what I was doing is ceremonial. So you've got influence. People listen to you. And the thing is, I knew I had a year, and so I said yes to every. Um, oh, uh, you know, my I was lucky to have an assistant. She would give me a call and say, "I've got these invites. Go through them." And I would, 
I would just say yes to all of them if I could, if I wasn't working. And I just worked myself silly, really, um, and just tried to show up to everything because I knew I was working full time. And most mayors generally seem to be quite well off, retired, older people. And so they're time rich and they can do lots of things during the day. And it's very easy for them to be visible and considered to have been doing a good job. Whereas I thought, oh my God, I've got a full-time job, bills to pay, and I have to somehow get out there and make some sort of visual impact at least. And I'm glad to say I think I did. I was, I was worked really hard at it. Was being the first sort of post-lockdown mayor something that was on your mind as well um yeah i was feeling sort of relieved by it really i was the deputy mayor in the lockdown that was i mean yeah so that's another thing as well is there was nothing for the mayor anita collier was the mayor in the lockdown um she's kind of now known as the lockdown mayor and i was her deputy mayor and she had almost nothing that she could do in terms of ceremonies and 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 all the things that are traditionally a mayor she could do things on zoom she could do a she did a a, a weekly walk on a friday i think it was to around all the, the independent businesses and shops in Froome, like socially distanced that was something she came up with where she was like right well how do i how am i showing value here to the town when i've got nothing to no shops to snip a ribbon on no community groups are allowed to have me visit you know what what do i do so she wrote a great column every um every week and she she just did what she could but i was kind of relieved that i wasn't getting dealt that hand but also it was daunting because she had nothing to do which meant the deputy mayor really had nothing to do um i wrote an open letter to the town uh, almost like a bit of a pep talk and like a we got this thing when we went into our second lockdown um i had i had a message from someone saying andy what what's going on like where's the is anyone going to say anything from the council we need leadership and i thought you're right someone's got to bloody say something so i put i penned an open letter to Froome that evening and, and got it out in the on the 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 boards and in the paper and stuff like that and it's like that's part of the mayor's role is people look to you for for words of guidance or sympathy or whatever they just want to know that you know and there's mm. a there's a comfort in that for a lot of people and it's not um it's not to be um underestimated that it's a really that's really quite so it's, it's quite intense that to yeah. be honest it's a big thing on your shoulders and i think not not being a traditional mayor yeah we say not not if someone was to say okay well you know imagine a mayor yeah you're not the person that most people would imagine right no that kind of puts a it puts additional interest on you and on the town and on the role yeah but also potentially additional pressure yeah i mean well, there is because like like i was just saying like i had nothing to do in the, in the lockdown as a deputy mayor so when i got when i was given the chains to be the mayor it was like there you go you're the mayor now and i was almost like how do I, what do i do it was like there you go figure it out um and then and there's a lot of attention on you then because you wear a hat that's backwards and a leather jacket when you announce your picture uh, when you make your announcement sorry and you've got your your picture that went really viral that um that picture of me on the stairs with the thing saying i'm the mayor thanks very much i'll do my best and all that so there's additional pressure because you feel that people yeah you've got a lot of fans that think it's really cool and fun and novel but you also want you also don't want your thing to be just a circus act. You want to be different. Like that's the that's the difference I was talking about from joking about it in the co-op to being like, no, I'm gonna fucking nail this, and I might have a leather jacket and I might be a punk rocker, um, but I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be really good at this, and none of that's gonna matter. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a good mayor who just happens to be the punk rock mayor of Froome, and so yeah, it's it is pressure because you just get given the chains and there's no there's no um folder there's no brochure no one took me to an office sat me down and said right you're the mayor now here's powerpoint nothing here's the chains go <laughs> and you make it up and it took me a long time to get used to the fact that i was a leader and a community leader 
and that actually what I said mattered because I didn't wake up or I didn't walk around thinking I'm Mr. Billy Big Bollocks and what I say is really important. You you get to know, oh, it's my responsibility to make a comment on that or to show that I have acknowledged that. And you don't get it right all the time. There are things where people go, what have you done about this? And you, you go, I haven't because... Yeah, because you don't, you don't, if you've got a healthy ego, I think, you don't walk around thinking you're God's gift. And there's, yeah, there's just a lot of that job where you have to, you have to play a role of someone who's more of a statesman than you're comfortable thinking of yourself to be. You're still on the council. Yes. Uh, you were re-elected um, this year. Yeah, well, no one stood against me. So I, there was no... Who would? Election. I was Who would on the to? ballot. I have joked, now I haven't joked about this publicly, but I have joked that if you were to go against me in the last election, you can take £3,000 or more and flush it down the toilet. <laughs> um, all joking aside, um, yeah, I, I walked in. I was a bit disappointed, actually, because I wanted some competition. I think it's healthy that there's competition. I wanted someone to say... Uh, hi, yeah, I'd really love to have a go as well, and you know, and, and there actually be a campaign. Like, I didn't, I didn't have to campaign because no one else stood against me, and so by default, that seat was mine. Now, you can look at that how you want. Even no one wanted to do it, or it's a, it, it, it actually means that people feel that you're doing a good job and would like you to just carry on doing what you're doing, or absolutely scared quaking in their boots don't want to go against you i don't know which one it is <laughs> uh, there is there is also a tradition within that where you do you can do two elections if you're lucky enough to be to be voted in for those two and then you then you go because if you stick around too long you get too comfortable your ideas get stale you might get jaded or bored or just dis, maybe disenfranchised i can't see how you would you could be at the moment things are cool and interesting but um it's generally two terms so eight years and out let someone else get in there but as i'm younger by about 20 years than well it was by about 20 years in the last administration not now this newest administration that i'm part of has actually got some some younger councillors and i'm excited about that because they're really bringing some lovely fresh energy to it and not that i don't appreciate my older councillors they are some of the people i respect most actually because they um they've really helped me grow and they've helped me with advice they've taken me under their wing you know they've really given me a chance they've not seen this like punk rock kid that wants to do it as a joke they've seen some potential and helped me eventually kind of get there i hope Andy, we're now going to play Somerset Address or Obscure Movie. Da 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 da. I think that's that's. I just a, made a theme tune up. Yeah, good theme tune. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have a catchy title. It's just called. It's called that. Um, so I'm going to give you. I've got eight names. Uh huh. And they are either places in Somerset. Yeah. Addresses, street names. Uh huh. That kind of thing. Or they are a film that yeah. has been made by real film people okay. uh, and they are on IMDb. All oh, right, so they're proper films. Proper films. Yeah, real films. Yeah. So, uh, name number one. Yeah. Serpent's Path. Place in Somerset. That's a place. Film. That'll be a place. It's a 1998 film. Oh! <laughs> uh, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who is not related to Akira Kurosawa. I uh, had to check that. <laughs> okay. Oh, damn it. Failed already. So yeah, Japanese film. Okay. But the English title is Serpent's Path. Okay. All right. Number two, Summer Catch. Again, I'm going for a place. It's a film. <laughs> oh, I, I do think of myself as a, a bit of a film buff. But... I had to really scrape the barrel right. of obscure movies. Okay. This one, it's got, it's got Freddie Prince Jr. and Jessica Biel in it. Okay. But it probably wasn't one that... Is it a rom-com? It's kind of a rom-com. Okay. I haven't seen it. But I'm going again, going off. What year is that? 2001. So that's it, right in that kind of little era of like 
Uh, terrible rom com films. Rom com, uh, Fifty yeah. First Dates. Um, P.S. I Love You. Maybe, maybe that was. Yeah, a she's the that. man. All she's, that kind yeah. of nonsense. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Rusty Well Park. See now. You see now because you've done two movies that I've been quite sure would probably sound like good places. Now I want to say it's a movie, but you've said park, so. I'm, again, I'm going to go with a place. It is a place. Oh, thank God. Yeah, it's in Yeovil. Okay. What's it called? Rusty Well Park. Rusty Well Park. What up? Okay, what's next? Next one, number four, is The Bartons. I'm going for a place. I'm going for a place. It's a place. Excellent. It's Where is in uh, Bishop Lydiard. Where is that? It's just outside of Taunton. Okay. So other side of the county. Right. I don't get out that way. Not your often. neck of the woods, is it? Not really. Two out of four. Okay. All right. Okay. Poor start, but you're improving. All right. The Dawn Wall film is a film. It's a 2017 climbing documentary. <laughs> the Dawn Wall. Yeah, the Dawn Wall. Apparently, there's a a, a cliff yeah. in Yosemite National Park. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the Dawn Wall is one of the routes that's like apparently impossible to do. Is this impossible to do um, with harnesses or You'll is have this to watch those the crazy guys that chalk up and just get at it? you have to watch the film. Okay. So you got that one right as well. Number six, Slippery Batch. <laughs> uh, film. It's a place. It's just outside of Somerton. Okay. Number seven. Yeah. So you've got two more. Cutter's Way. That's a place. It's a film. Oh! It's, oh. A, it's a 1981 crime drama starring Jeff Bridges. I like Jeff Bridges. Uh, Probably not his most well-known work. Obviously, I don't, obviously don't like him enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, number eight, your last one, is Dudmore. Place. It is a place. It's in Kingsbury Episcopi. Where is that? It's on the levels. I feel like I've not even been to Somerset. <laughs> I've been the mayor of a town in Somerset. Andy, before we before we wrap up, um, where can people find you? Find what you're up to politically, well, musically? Depends what kind of people we're talking about finding me. Pro- probably just on the internet for now. <laughs> Let's not give anyone like personal details. <laughs> yeah. Um you can you can find me on Instagram at Andy underscore TGP. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, The Giant Pod, on Spotify, Acast, Apple Music, YouTube, and all, all the places you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you want to check out the sick ones, that is on um, Spotify, Apple Music, basically anywhere, Bandcamp, it's out there. Um, that's sick ones with no space in the middle, all one word, and you should be able to track us down. All the Freedom Town Council website. Awesome. Ali, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic chatting with you. You've been thank an awesome you. guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. If you liked it, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on social media at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. Somerset Stories is a Whitstone production and music is provided by Jazar under Creative Commons. <laughs>